not every day is a sunshine and rainbows at all, yeah. but at least you know it's it's going to be different and it's going to be interesting and it's going to provoke you in different ways. If you're a creative person, if you're a baker, a dancer, a photographer, a screenwriter, an actor, a comedian, a podcaster, and you want to figure out how to make a living doing what you love, this is the show. This is the show don't keep your day job. My name is Kathy Heller and I'm a singer-songwriter. I make a living doing what I love and I want that for you. This is the show that's going to help you do that and give you not only inspiration but some real life strategies. This is going to help you figure out how to take your creative passion and turn it into a profit. Thanks to Hubble for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. What if I told you that you can get a fresh pair of lenses for every single day for less? 60 contacts for $30. That's a dollar a day. That is half the price of other brands. Go to HubbleContacts.com and get your first two weeks free. Thanks to Wistia for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Wistia is the video hosting platform with analytics and video marketing tools that power creative communication for more than 300,000 businesses. Start your free account today at Wistia.com. This episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job is brought to you by Smile Direct Club. Smile Direct Club is the first digital brand for your smile, using technology to help you avoid office visits and cut costs. Get 50% off your evaluation by visiting smiledirectclub.com and using promo code DREAMJOB at checkout. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. Thank you for coming back for another episode. I hope the show is helping you, making you feel inspired and reminding you of how awesome you are and how much you have to contribute to the world. I want to talk about no excuses. I am so sick of hearing people have so many excuses that it robs them of their life. I'm so sick of hearing people not doing what it is that they're doing because they're so sure that they could be doing it, but it's just this one person in their life, this one person in their life has taken away their experience so they never do it because they have this father or this uncle or this brother or this ex-boyfriend and because of this person it's all their fault but now they're stuck doing something else or because of the fact that they don't have the time or because of the fact they don't have the resources or because of where they live it's just not okay it's all an excuse and I'm so sick of it the truth is that all we really have to do is be a little bit uncomfortable and hustle we actually have to put ourselves in the position of doing everything we possibly can do waking up every day and asking ourselves those questions who could I be calling what could I be making what could I be creating what questions could I be asking what research could I be doing and then if I reach out to somebody how could I continue to reach out until I finally get through in our last week's episode we talked to Frida Rothman and at the very end she was talking about something which is so crucial she was saying that there's a store she's about to get her stuff into now she's already been in Nordstrom and Bloomingdale's and she's doing fabulously, but she's about to enter another realm. And there's this pie in the sky department store, which she can't say yet, but she finally got into that store. I said, how did you do it? And she said, well, first I tried one approach. You know, I sent them an email, then I called, then I sent them some of the product. Then I still wasn't getting a response. So finally she tried another approach um, and she sent a business plan. And she said, here's how I think your store can benefit from having my jewelry. And finally they said, this is interesting. And they had more meetings and they finally said yes. And she's going to launch that soon. And she'll let us know what that store is. But The point is you have to keep redefining your approach. So many people, so many people are so talented. They have so much stuff to share with the world that's incredible. But what happens is they get so defeated. They try one thing or they try something once or twice and they don't get the result that they want. So they just give up. That is something I'm trying to really help avoid. That is something I'm trying to really communicate to all of you that I want you to change because I want you to realize that 
It is all about that hustle. And it doesn't matter how talented you are. It matters how much you stay in the game and how much grit you have. And so I'm really fed up of hearing people's excuses because I see that the the good should outweigh the bad. That, that thing inside of you that's dying to come out, that work that you just love to do. And the vision of yourself. Okay, close your eyes. Now envision yourself two years from now, waking up every day and getting paid to do what it is that you love and no day goes by where you're not grateful and every moment it never feels like you're working and you're making stuff and you're creative and you're enjoying your life and things are happening and you're able to make let's say three hundred thousand dollars and buy yourself a beautiful house because you open a coffee shop or because you are making something and you your store blew up on etsy whatever it is can you just imagine that for a second and what would that feel like And how would that change the way that you feel about waking up every day? And how would that affect your relationships if your life was so supercharged by what it is that you're doing and what you're creating? And how would that affect the world? And how do you think that you could start to give to your community in a different way if that was the case? Really think about it, touch it, taste it, see it happening. If that's waiting there for you on the other side of hustle, on the other side of I'm a little bit uncomfortable because I have to send this email or make this phone call or walk into this store or try again because I've already written to this person twice or I've already called this person twice or I've already called this person three times or I've already walked into a different store and already been told no. If that is waiting for you on the other side of that, it is so worth it. We have to get in the game. We have to put our shoulders back. We have to take it. We have to keep going and take that hill. And don't let so many little things stop you from the big goal, from the big dream, from the reason why you're here, which is for you to be the most authentic, happy, superpower charged version of yourself doing what it is that you're here to do and you know throwing fairy dust all around because you're just so happy that everybody around you starts to feel it and you're contributing and you're creative all of that is so possible and when people do that which is so hard which takes so much courage which is just putting themselves out there which is having the faith and the courage and the fortitude to keep going you will be rewarded in so many ways it'll just be It'll be dumbfounding. You won't even believe how you'll be rewarded. And you'll be emailing me and thanking me and telling people who've supported you how grateful you are that they stayed in it and they flew your flag and they supported you. So I want you to keep closing your eyes if you have to, once a day, once every other day, once a week, whatever it is. And I want you to envision how will you feel What will that be like? How will your relationships change? How will your life change if you look back when you're 85 years old and that's the way you spent the next 20 years of your life? How will it affect the way that you can be yourself and the best version of yourself? And then I also want you to think about what happens if you don't do it? What happens if you don't do these few uncomfortable things? What happens if you don't put some time into your craft? What happens if you won't take the time to really ask those questions and be a little bit uncomfortable? And and what happens if you don't risk anything? Where will your life be then? What will your relationship look like then? How will that change your life if you don't make any change, but you just stay doing, you know, the quote unquote easy thing? How will your life be affected if you stay with the status quo? And what will that feel like? And picture that. Picture yourself in three years and five years and 10 years. If nothing changes, if you don't spend any more time doing what it is that you love, if you don't ever get to wake up so excited to go to work that never feels like a job, how will that change your life? And I want you to really see the possibility of what can happen for you if you do a couple things that might make you feel a little uncomfortable and you have to, you know, sit with it, but you can tolerate it. Every week we talk to people who've made their dreams come true. They've made it. They've been able to make a huge living doing things that they love to do that don't feel like jobs. That is the kind of job that I want you to have. It's a dream job. It's not a job. It's your life's work. So I want you to take your passion, 
combine it with your purpose and I want you to do what it is that you're called to do and I want you to make a living doing that. And when everybody's out there doing that, we're going to have the most delicious world we've ever seen. So every one of you, if you want to make the world better, you're going to go out there and do your thing. So I encourage you today, ask yourself, what are the things that you can be doing? What's something you learned from last week's episode or this week's episode? Write it down. Don't wait to be inspired. If you're inspired right now, write something down and go and do something about it. Maybe you make that phone call. Maybe you set up that meeting. Maybe you do some research. Maybe you make something and maybe you put it up on our Facebook page or ask somebody a question but let's start moving forward your only competition is you and there's an amazing life that's waiting for you on the other side of hustle so let's get that hustle going okay guys thanks to hubble for supporting don't keep your day job what if i told you that you can get a fresh pair of lenses for every single day for less 60 contacts for 30 dollars do the math. That's a dollar a day. That is half the price of other brands. So go to HubbleContacts.com and get your first two weeks free. Easy on the eyes and the wallet. Go to HubbleContacts.com to get your first two weeks of lenses for free. That's 15 pairs of lenses for free. Contacts are expensive because four companies control 97% of the market until now. Hubble sells directly to you so they can offer contacts for half the price. No more overpaying or overwearing. Featured in Vogue, GQ, TechCrunch, and Mashable. So I told my husband that Hubble contacts were an option. They were going to be sponsoring the show. And I asked him if he wanted some and he thought it was so cool. Um, He's been spending so much money on dailies contacts that he's been wearing for years and years. And Hubble was a great experience. He went to his optometrist, his optometrist sent a prescription and he got these awesome contacts. He wasn't sure what they were going to feel like or look like, and he's been loving it. And it's just so much more affordable and it's so easy. You can just keep renewing your order. It saves time. It saves money and the quality was excellent. So I hope that all of you will try Hubble contacts. You really can't beat this deal. Hubble is offering my listeners two weeks of free contacts. So go to hubblecontacts.com and get 2020 vision for half the price. That's H-U-B-B-L-E contacts.com. Thanks to Wistia for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Wistia is awesome. It's been so cool. I've used it. It's easy to use. It's a great resource. Basically, you can make any kinds of video and you're going to want to do this because so many brands, whether it's Cirque du Soleil, Squarespace, Starbucks, HubSpot, everybody's using Wistia because you can make really cool stuff. You can customize videos to match your brand. You're going to love it. I've been doing this. It's super fun. And then you get these analytics, which has helped me to see what kinds of content are really working for my audience. So I hope that you guys will do this. I think that you're going to love it. Start your free account at Wistia.com. With your free account, you'll get three free video uploads, advanced video analytics, and all the features and integrations that were built with businesses in mind. It's easy to get started with Wistia today. Try it for free at wistia.com. This episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job is brought to you by Smile Direct Club. Smile Direct Club is the first digital brand for your smile, letting you avoid office visits and cut costs by up to 70% and many dental plans reimburse you for an additional savings. Most invisible aligner brands cost $5,000, but Smile Direct Club aligners are a single payment of $1,700. Lab costs are waived, or you can use their easy payment plan, SmilePay. Smile Direct Club believes everyone deserves a smile they love and invisible aligners shouldn't cost a small fortune. Smile Direct Club works with state certified dentists and orthodontists to ship aligners straight to your door in monthly shipments. This means no more expensive in-office visits, no more embarrassing wires or brackets. Smile Direct Club offers a $95 risk-free evaluation to see if you qualify. If you don't qualify, your fee will be refunded. So I'm really excited to be using Smile Direct because as a kid, I did have braces for a couple years, but then I didn't wear my retainers, so my teeth aren't as straight as I'd want them to be. So it was really cool because Smile Direct sent me a box and they sent me stuff so that I could um, do an at-home impression and I didn't have to go to an office, which made things super easy. And I'm really excited to start working with this and I'll be letting you know how this is going. But so far, so good. 
You can get started with an at-home impression for only 50% off $95. That's $47.50 when you go to Smile Direct Club and use the code DREAMJOB. It's covered by our Smile Guarantee. So if our aligners aren't a good fit for you, you can get your money back. Get 50% off your $95 evaluation fee by visiting SmileDirectClub.com and use the code DREAMJOB at checkout. Not available in North Carolina. Thank you guys for supporting our sponsors. Supporting our sponsors is one of the best ways for you guys to go ahead and support us. And we definitely feel it. Our sponsors have been telling us that our audience is so engaged and it has made such a huge difference. And people have been responding and trying out these amazing things. Go to smiledirectclub.com and enter promo code DREAMJOB and you're going to save 50% off. Now we've got Verve Coffee here. Today we have Colby Barr here with us. He's one of the founders of Verve Coffee, and I can't wait to hear his story. Colby grew up farming pears and wine grapes with his family in North Carolina, and from an early age, he was all about just being immersed in the soil and just growing a business on your own. And I think eventually uh, it led him to his love of coffee, and I'm so happy he's here to tell us how he and Ryan O'Donovan started Verve Coffee. I actually went there this morning. Um, It's right by my house, and um, it's just such delicious coffee but what's also awesome about verve is not only are there is their coffee amazing but the shops are just so well designed so beautiful it's such a wonderful um, unusually brilliant experience i can't wait to hear how they've created several locations not only in uh up and down the coast of california but also in tokyo so we're going to dive into that now okay so let's kind of rewind let's go back so when you were a kid did you did you feel like you were a little bit more creative than everyone else? Were you entrepreneurial? Were you starting like some lemonade stand outside your house? What were you doing? Uh, as a kid, I mean, I've definitely always been curious and, you know, adventurous or mischievous, I guess my mom would say, always <laughs> wanting to go on on adventures and, you know, learn and read and just kind of discover things. And that's sort of been along with me my whole life for better and worse, you know, definitely drove my teachers crazy throughout (laughs) my entire childhood. (laughs) So were you, were you like a creative kid? Were you in like art classes? What was the seed of this? You know, that's, that's interesting. Um, I I grew up in a really small town in Northern California. My parents, um, you know, farmed pears and wine grapes. So I was in that like, you know, 80 people in my graduating class, that whole thing. But somehow there was a, a woman who had a Montessori school there. I didn't even understand what Montessori was until I was in college and I had a girlfriend who was <laughs> studying that. And was I, I realized I actually went to a Montessori school. But So I did two years of Montessori preschool and it was uh, theater-based. And I vaguely remember it, but was, you know, as a however old you are in your second year of preschool, you know, was in the play Pinocchio and I got to play Pinocchio and (laughs) somehow like I was that kid who got to, you know, play that kind of role and somehow memorize lines, you know, books, a whole book of lines that I I couldn't even memorize one page now. That's crazy. You know, you have to to post an Instagram photo of you as Pinocchio because now everyone's uh, going to see that. There is a there is a couple classic ones that someone did shoot where oh I my God, uh, so cute decided to join in the Jiminy Cricket dance and like like fully impromptu dance like just awesome. I guess I was a bit of a ham as well, so <laughs> I had a knack for that for that I guess. So there was there was definitely a little bit of a draw to you being this sort of charismatic kid. But what about your parents doing their grapes and the pears? Was that something that spoke to you from an early age? Do you feel like that's the seed? That that was one of the beginnings of this? 
I think definitely the seed of entrepreneurship and sort of the idea of working for yourself uh, without question comes from, you know, growing up in that environment. And because of that and, you know, just, you know, my dad really trying to instill work ethic. I, I didn't really know there were other ways to live or I didn't. <laughs> what I didn't, was it like? Tell us what that looks like. What's a day in the life look like with your parents doing that? What's that? Was there like a farm? Did you have a house on tons of acres with lots of beautiful things growing everywhere? What was that like? Yeah, yeah. I, I grew up in a house on a farm, that whole thing. You know, we didn't really have animals per se, so it wasn't like that type of farm. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, I grew up in orch- in, an, uh, in an orchard by a creek and had oh a dog God. and my dog was my so best friend. sorry. What a horrible life. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was terrible. No, the environment was amazing and, you know, I'm so grateful for it. But, yeah, you know, you – the work was hard and every day after school, you know, change out of your school clothes and go out and, you know, I was been working and on the farm and at the time as a kid, I considered hard labor, (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know, my whole life. And, um, and where did they sell their products? The the grapes came later, but the pears were, they would sell through, um, to all sorts of grocery stores. They weren't like really in the farmer's market level. They were, uh, tied into like the bigger network of selling to through, through grocery stores okay. and yeah. um, through a packing facility that, you know, sold pears all across the country because apparently people still eat pears. <laughs> As a kid, did you ever think, it's not exactly the same, but did you ever think you'd be doing anything food related like this? Whether or not I knew I was going to totally take over the business, which which is sort of what I just assumed I would do, you know, a uh, farming family. But I, I definitely never really thought about working for anyone else, I guess, is the difference. Okay. Yeah. And, I, and I never really did until, you know, in my mid-20s for a few years. But that hadn't actually occurred to me that you would just go, could go get, you would go get a job and just work for someone. Got it. I, so when you, did you go to college? Yeah. I'm surprised you went because you just said you already knew you were going to do your own thing. But you wanted to go <laughs> to just meet girls and study and just be cool. All the important stuff. Yeah, exactly. So... While you were in school, what did you think? What did you think you were going to be doing? Did you know then that this was happening, or not yet? Uh, you know, going to college was um, ironically it was not an option. You know, my dad, mm-hmm. for my parents uh, both, but you know, my dad is you know education is really important. He went to UC Davis, and it was not it was non-negotiable about going to college. And where did you go to school? Uh, up in uh, Chico State, up in Northern California. Okay, cool. Yeah, but yeah, I kind of I ended up kind of. That was the you know maybe a point of like a little bit of rebellion, yeah. okay. <laughs> from I got from it. the establishment, from the man, if you will. Okay. Yep. Talking of the creativity, I guess I I did get into music early on and all throughout elementary school, junior high. I I played in bands and I, we had a really incredible music instructor, this guy Tom Aiken, where we got really small town place, but had a like world class instructor that just happened to live there. So oh, I cool. I was playing in like high school jazz band when I was in seventh grade. Um, that state honor bands and, you know, all of that. So I I just, all I wanted to do really was go to college and study music. I actually didn't really want to go to college. I just wanted to go to like a recording arts school and just get right into the music business. But, uh, wow. Okay. So now I'm really interested in hearing how you became the, the king of coffee. So you graduate and what did you do? Well, I ended up playing music all throughout college and played in various bands and you know, did that whole thing, I guess people do, you know, playing in um, kind of like funk bands and rock bands. And I played in like a live hip hop band and we toured and like... What's your instrument? Um, in 
I grew up playing trumpet my whole life. That was like my jazz instrument, but then also played piano. Um, I took a handful of years of piano and then just sort of played by ear after that. But, you know, yeah. I, I formally trained and practiced trumpet all through college and everything. That's cool. Yeah. So I did, I, you know, I played music all through college, but I ended up studying uh, in environmental science because I always loved earth and maps and yeah. just what was happening around me, maybe kind of growing up in, in on farm and being part of that world. Yeah. I don't even know how I ended up in that, but I, I did. And so after college, I uh, went and I worked in that field for a while doing actually making maps. And uh, that is so cool. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm, my sister-in-law is obsessed with maps and yeah, uh, I love maps too. It's I, that's really fun. What does that mean? What kind of maps were you making? Maps of what? Yeah, as a cartographer, I. Uh, you have to I, say that yeah. with a. You have to say that with underbite. A cartographer. As a cartographer. Right. You had a little. Yeah. Um, you wrote with a plume. Yeah, exactly. I only I only wrote with a plume, and I drew sea dragons on every <laughs> on the corner of all my maps. No, yeah. we. Uh, I studied environmental science, and I did um, cartography, but my focus was really on um, in, environmental change and natural hazards disasters, things like that. So I, I actually ended up working on, um, for a company doing um, mapping during environmental events, if you will. So I, I worked wow. when there was like wildfires, I would go there and map them real time. So I was like an on-call person, you know, hurricanes, all these This isn't fair things. that you're this smart and you wound up doing something that fun. Like this isn't <laughs> fair that you're the, you can do both of these things. Okay. So yeah, you're doing it, things people can't even understand how to say. Okay, so you're it, doing that. It was, ran, it was, it was random. Let's this is the to, this is totally the standard path to creating this a is, coffee franchise. This, this is, is how, how you it become a goes. coffee person. So yep. everyone just needs to just uh, right. this is how you do Be it. Be a cartographer, of course. This is the missing piece. So it's what the natural path? Right, right. So what happens after this? And why did you leave that? That sounds kind of crazy fun to say it. At, like, what do you do at a dinner party? Oh, I'm a cartographer. Like, just being able to say that is a cool card to carry. Uh, you know, I left it because I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And once I realized that, that I, I, I didn't want to keep working for anyone else um, is really kind of the tip off. Yeah. And then also, you know, I did love coffee shops. I loved coffee house culture all through college. You know, even in high school, I would I would go get driven. My mom would drive me to like the big city an hour and a half away. And we'd go play. My friends and I would go play like jazz stuff in coffee shops. So I always had this like super cliche romantic idea about yeah. wouldn't it be cool to one day have a coffee shop basically how everybody gets into coffee yeah so that was a natural path and I was in a coffee shop one day working because I freelanced and did you know worked remotely a lot um when I was on on, on a location and just sort of thought you know I want to start my own thing I want to do my own business I should do coffee I was in a coffee shop and I thought I should look into that and uh that was sort of how it all began. Wow. Okay. So that's, but that's still nobody. Nobody hand, hands you the map of how to become, you know, so successful in it. So how did you know what to do next? What did you do? Well, the next thing that happened was pre-Verve. Um, I in the in the college town where I, you know, what went to school and where I was living afterwards, there was the cool coffee shop that a guy owned who was kind of this kind of a crazy guy, but he was good at building brand and he had all the cool businesses, restaurants and things in town. So I went to talk to him about, hey, you've been successful at this. I want to get into this. Can you give me any pointers? Oh, smart. Uh, you know, I'm like, you you know what great looks like. 
you know, I didn't even know if he'd talk to me. And he said, well, actually, this is really funny that you're hitting me up because I'm moving and I'm going to sell my coffee shop. Oh would, my you, would you be interested in buying it? Oh and it God. was like the cool one. So long story short, I did everything I could and tried to figure out how to pull some money together and, and work with him on, on it. And long story short, I ended up getting involved in the, in this coffee shop on my own. Wow. And, you know, basically the school of hard knocks of, of entrepreneurship and, you know, being your, your sole ownership came down heavy, which is like, welcome to reality. Right. How long were you there? I had that shop for like five years, but it, I had that shop for about a year, a year into it. I've learned all of these hard knocks and lessons. Like what? Learned. Tell us about that. Cause that makes you feel so human. What were some of those hard? Oh man. Beyond overwhelmed, you know, just the reality that there's no one else to turn to like above yeah. you to say, right. Hey, like I'm buried. Hey, this is beyond me. Hey boss, you know, or, Hey dad or whom, whomever yeah. that you could turn to you're it. And so, you know, that sort of like feeling of uh, that sobering kind of cold chill of like, okay, this is literally all on me. What were the issues? Was it like just handling the long hours? Was it the money you had to pour into the business? Was it like, you know, a flood? What was it? <laughs> that was, it was all, it was all of those things of kind of, I mean, it was personnel and learning how to manage people and learn how to, you know, deal person, you know, different personalities and yeah. to f fire people and how to hire people and like, to get the right people on the bus and to get rid of the wrong people and yeah. to like set your standards and, you know, to understand what the customers want, but have your own vision, uh, money, all the accounting taxes, facilities, equipment going down. Electric. Yeah. That Just sounds like exhausting. So how did you can think of how happening. come you didn't cave? How come you didn't get defeated? Why'd you keep going? What, what made you keep going? <laughs> well, maybe this goes back to the whole like farm strong, kid you know my, my yeah. adolescence but you know I, I definitely grew up in a no quit household yeah and you know farmers don't quit or they wouldn't last you know three months if you know farming yeah. is the ultimate endurance sport so I grew up in that and so it wasn't it never even occurred to me to quit it just was like wow how do I do this and so you just start solving problems and figuring out how to chew through them and to um try to figure out what's causing the problems and how to not have them continue to continue to you know reoccur yeah and and where to put your energy and how to get the right people on the team and you know it was a long year it was super gnarly the first six months were <laughs> i mean the first six months of owning your own business and you know i can jump into ahead to here to verb but same thing happened here is it's real talk i mean it's it's ultimately worth it for me because but it, it's pretty, it's pretty intense. Like the learning curve that comes in your very first bit of owning your own business and taking that jump is, is real. It's a lot of self-discovery. It's also sometimes the business itself. It's, it's difficult for the business as its own entity if it's new, right. but it's also you yourself have to go through so much evolution and self-discovery during those early days to become successful. And you're asking yourselves a lot of questions like, why am I doing this? Do I want to keep doing this? Right, right. How do I do this? And it's up to you to decide, you know, wh what you want to do about it. But so what happens after that first year? Cause you said a year and then five years. So some, there was a turning point after a year. What happened? Yeah. After a year, I, I had got my speed wobbles over. I had had some successful moments. I had a cool crew. We had great training. We had good brand. I was feeling momentum. I was feeling positive. I'd overcome adversity with my crew, my, myself. And I felt like I want to keep, you know, I made that decision. I want to keep doing this. And I, 
I'm a kind of an all in guy. So I said, well, if I'm gonna keep doing this, I want to learn even more. I want to learn about roasting and where coffee comes from. And a friend of mine from college, uh, Ryan O'Donovan, we knew each other as musicians in college, but he was always this crazy coffee guy. He had been working in coffee since he was like 17 or 18, you know, <laughs> barista at Starbucks at Pete's, right. right. You know, he, he worked in a drive through coffee shop sh- shaped like a stagecoach. You know, oh, yeah, then yeah, he's definitely he, your pick. I mean, anyone who could do that because yeah, done. he's done it all. Um, <laughs> like, did you play any chance working a drive through shape like a stage? You did. Perfect. Was your, yeah. Was your favorite drink a white blended mocha? Okay, cool. <laughs> like, I mean, when he was like 17 or whatever, but probably most people's favorite drink at 17 yeah. was that. Mm-hmm. So what happens? He comes into the shop and you guys start to talk and he's like, we should do something amazing. Yeah, he had left uh, to actually to go start a coffee shop in Bend, Oregon. Didn't quite pan out. He moved to Portland, worked up there in coffee for a year, and then moved back to the Bay Area because California is lovely. Yep. And uh, he missed the sun. Yep. And he started working in coffee in the Bay Area for different, you know, roasters and things like that. And he was the whole time he was always home roasting. He was like that guy, like yep. you know, roasting on his porch. You know, had his espresso machine in his kitchen. Oh my God. Yeah, you know, he was the real he was the real deal. And I, and I knew that about him. So he happened to come through. Um, and we were talking a little bit about it and kind of reconnected. Uh, he was actually on a fishing trip back through Chico. And we reconnected. Now, instead of through music, we were reconnecting through coffee. And then so it was on my mind about Ryan. And one day a year later, I was thinking, Okay, it's been a year. What am I doing? I should call and I just had this epiphany. I said, I should call Ryan, and we should start a coffee roasting company in the Bay Area. Hmm. And I called him and we talked on the phone until my cell phone went dead. I was sitting on the curb at a farmer's market and he said, come on down. So I drove down the next day and we started the company that next day. Wow. That you could tell there's like was so much passion and enthusiasm behind it. You know, like that's why you, you talked till your cell phone went dead. You guys were like so excited. There was so much excitement about that. So yeah. what did that mean? A coffee roasting company? How was that different than this, the story you already had? Well, the store I had, I bought coffee from someone else, which is really common for a lot of small yeah. coffee shops and boutique coffee shops. You know, they get wholesaled coffee and I right. just wanted to learn more and control the coffee more and, and learn about roasting and, you know, flavor and it, things that were really like seemed vague and far off that are now the core principles of our company and like run my life. Uh, it's but- so cool to even just listen to you talk because I, I mean myself, like most people, like the number one addiction I like I wake up and the only thing that gets me up is I'm like okay I can go have coffee and then I can get I can get through it so it's just so cool it's so like sensual and sexy and awesome it's like everyone is obsessed with coffee but yours is amazing but how did it get to be that so what was the mm-hmm. next thing so you 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 know you drive down there the next day and then what do you do you know, I drive down there the next day and, I, and I'd say the company started and I just mean more that it's more like looking back I can say that there was never a moment from that day that we didn't, we weren't pursuing it together. It could Got have it. gone, fallen apart a lot of ways, but like, you know, we, I drove down and we just, I mean, we, we, we just talked about what the company could be and we jumped in a car and drove into the, into the city, San Francisco and, and Berkeley and Oakland and started just looking at neighborhoods and trying to visualize starting this roasting company, yeah. thinking about what a retail store could look like. And after about four or five months, we were about to sign a lease actually in, Berkeley next to Pyramid Brewing 
at the last second, last minute, really. I mean, we, we had everything done. We just had to sign the lease. And Ryan calls me, and I'll never forget. He just said, hey, man, I'm out. Um, oh. You know, my, my girlfriend, Amy, you know, we're in it for the long haul. She was a school teacher. And, like, I, I don't want to live where I'm living now. We, we surf and... You know, we're always going to Santa Cruz, and 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 we're just thinking about the long play. And I think for lifestyle reasons, we're we're going to move to Santa Cruz. Uh-huh. And I was like, "Damn!" And you know, we got off the phone, and I the dust settled, and I thought, "Well, now what do I do?" And I was thinking about it over the next day, and then a couple of days later, Ryan called me back and said, "Hey, man, this is crazy, but I just drove to Santa Cruz, and there's a space available that I had looked for for um a, a couple of years ago." And had submitted an application to the landlord, but she w- wasn't accepting any new applicants in this building. And she literally randomly, two years later, just called me out of the blue and said, are you still looking to do a coffee roasting company in Santa Cruz? Because I, I liked you and I just thought I'd give you a ring. Wow. And so it, it was enough of a strange reality that we, he called me and said, I, I thought, you know, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard that like. Yeah, that is crazy. <laughs> Two years later, 48 hours after you decide, you know, in your own emotional, like, yeah, deep part, cr- like, yeah. you're moving to Santa Cruz, you get a call from a landlord from an application two years ago yeah. about. So I said, all right, let's go look at this. And I had no idea about opening a coffee company there, but we did. I went down there and we looked at the spaces, the, the space rather. And I mean, at a certain point, and this is the ethos of, you know, what you talk about, you just got to jump. And I just said, let's do it. And we started Vervin Santa Cruz. So you moved down there. That's a yeah. big jump. Yeah. For people who like me, we don't know what that looks like, coffee roasting. So what were you going to make in this space? Was this going to be open to the public? Was just this a place to roast coffee? Yeah. In the beginning, we were going to open a roastery with a cafe next door. Well, at first we thought they were going to be in the same space before we realized that not only did we not have enough space, there was like, <laughs> you couldn't even like put a roaster in this building and zoning. So many things we had no idea about. Okay. But we ended up saying, let's, you know, we're going to put this roastery right next door to this cafe. We're going to have a cafe so that people can see our brand firsthand. So fun. Great. And we're just probably going to end up shredding lattes and cappuccinos for the rest of our life because I don't know that anyone will ever care, but at least we'll care. That you make your own coffee. That's so interesting. And that we were going to, you know, it was always our plan to make one of the best coffee companies on the planet. Between he and I, you know, just this was like our like thing. We said, well, we're going to do this and he's competitive. I'm competitive, even though we're both really chill. But like we're passionate and really we care a lot and we we really give everything our all. And so when we started it, we said, let's just, you know, let's do this. And we never settled or compromised or said, well, we're not in the city. So therefore we should do it like this. We just said, let's let's build the best company we can, even if no one cares. And, you know, fortunately, what happened is people did care. Oh my gosh. So cool. So what happened? So you opened that and how long into that did you feel like, wait a minute, there's another turning point here? You know, there's been so many along the way from the moment, well, from even before we opened the verb, but from the day we opened our doors to now, there's been so many turning points and so many iterations of what the company has become compared to what we ever thought it could be, even along the way. So you know, we thought we thought we'd open, and again, no one would really care. And fortunately, people did. It was good timing. We got some little flukes, I guess, or good timing, good luck moves that happened along the way. Where we started selling coffee in Manhattan. Um, How did that happen? Months. Yeah, 
Well, you know, we, we being in Santa Cruz, a lot of people come through there. Um, and some people came through that just were in Santa Cruz visiting and they stopped at our coffee shop. We didn't even have our name anywhere on the door or anything. We just had a wood sign that's still up today above our front door that just said coffee on a piece of wood. <laughs> that's awesome. Because <laughs> we were, we were yep. keeping it too real maybe. But uh, yep. these people loved our coffee and loved our brand. I mean, you know, we were really inspired by it. Dwell Magazine and, you know, Scandinavian architecture and coffee and uh, open kitchen design. So, you know, we built our first store ourselves. We didn't have a contractor. We didn't have an architect. We literally built it by hand ourselves. You literally built it. You like put in the countertops. I literally filled a Prius full of like concrete and we poured our own, our own counters. Wow. So it was, um, yeah. So yeah. So if anyone how did you know how to do any of this stuff? <laughs> yeah, I also do car carpentry on the side. Yeah. How did you guys know how to do this stuff? Did you watch like a string of YouTube videos? You know, we didn't, it's all out of necessity. You know, we didn't have the money to hire con. We, we got bids at first and it was like, okay, well I'm like, I don't have, we don't, we're like, we were so beyond short on the money. We just thought, why don't we just buy the tools and do it ourselves and we just went for it. And, Talk about no know, excuses. No excuses. You're just going to no build excuses. it. No yeah. excuses. Just go out and spend a few thousand bucks on tools and instead of hiring you know, a contractor for And 50, how did you 000. make the coffee so amazing? I mean, was that right away that it tasted as good as it tastes now? Like, what did you do? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, some stuff has changed. Our roasting style is tweaked. The way we access coffees has changed. But like going back to the, the New York thing, which I fully digressed yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were finding the best coffees we could at the time, and there were some amazing coffees. I, I knew right away that it, it, it was all about finding the best coffees, that that was a big differentiator. And so we put a lot of energy into that right away. Um, and Ryan, growing up, you know, spending all his time roasting, he, he developed all of our, our approaches to roasting. So, the, yeah, so back to these people from New York and did our coffee always taste great, they came in and tasted with this Ethiopia we had, Ethiopia Conga Cooperative from Yurgachev, and they said, this is the best coffee I've ever tasted. And wow. we live in Manhattan and have access to everything. And I'm telling you, this is amazing. And I want to take some coffee back to give to some friends of ours. I said, okay, cool. So they bought some coffee and they left. And then like a week later or something, I was working bar and the phone rang and I ducked down behind the counter. And it's this person who said, hey, I'm um, calling from Cafe Grumpy in New York City. And some people brought us your coffee who visited Santa Cruz and it's amazing and we want to carry it. Wow. Nice. So do you, you know, do you guys wholesale? And I'm, and I said, yeah, of course, of course we wholesale. We totally are wholesalers. Oh I'm not working bar right now. <laughs> and we started selling coffee to, you know, at that time where they were like the most important coffee shop on the East coast in Manhattan. Um, uh, they're still amazing. I was just actually there last week, but uh, they care, end up carrying our coffee for several years. And that put us on this, you know, brought us out of the Santa Cruz little bubble and put us into Manhattan at the time. And uh, we got a lot of eyes on us, which then led to an article in like GQ and the Wall Street Journal and a couple wow. of couple little shortlist mo moments, which helped really get us kickstarted. And at the same time, Santa Cruz and the whole area really embraced us and sort of proved that even though Santa Cruz is a small town, a lot of the people that are here like appreciate nice things yes. and were really happy that we were doing what we were doing and trying to have amazing coffee that's amazing. Uh, in, a, in a nice space with really like friendly people that's amazing and so how long after did you have your next wholesale account and then your next one and then how many did it go up to how many wholesale accounts it just continued to grow from then to now 
you know, just conti- continuing to grow as far as like the, the wholesale and, and that type of exposure. How many years ago did you start this? <laughs> it's been almost 10 years. Wow. Now you have, how many locations do you have now? Uh, we have nine now, nine total stores. Four are in, in Santa Cruz, which is uh, where we're based. We have three stores in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. one store in San Francisco, and one store in Tokyo. Wow. And some other and some other stuff on this on the horizon as well. I'm not surprised. So how <laughs> how did this start to happen? I mean, that's so much to manage. So when did yeah. the second store come? When did the third come? And then how did you get to Tokyo? Oh man, great question. We didn't do our second store, I don't think, until like four years in or something. And at the same time, we uh, opened our, a new store in Santa Cruz and built our what is our kind of roastery headquarters at, and has a coffee bar as well in Santa Cruz, which is a great place to visit. Yeah, that was like four years in, and then at that point we decided, kind of that, that was this was a, mo- a new moment of soul searching, which is who do we want to be? We, do we want to just stay in Santa Cruz, or do we want to try to venture beyond the bubble, beyond over the hill yeah. from Santa Cruz? And and if so, you know, what do we think? And we came to the conclusion as a team, you know, that yeah, I think we want to be a brand and build a company that's just that's beyond you know Santa Cruz, even though you know it's lovely here, uh, but. We, we felt like we wanted just to bring the brand out, out of there. Yep. But we sort of said, if we do that, though, we're not just going to go just to the next closest little place. We want to, if we're going to make that commitment and not just have three stores that are within five minutes of each other, let's go to the best markets we can and go try to go share our brand in the most interesting places. Yep. And at that time, we were picking up some traction with some great restaurants and great people in Los Angeles places like, you know, Republic. And Mm -hmm. um, at the time we were working with like Huckleberry and some, some really cool bakery and cool restaurant accounts, cool coffee accounts. And we realized our brand was being really well received in Los Angeles, started spending more time down there and realized, man, LA is pretty cool, actually. (laughs) Um, You know, being a NorCal kid. Oh yeah, I I know. You don't, unless you spend time there, I think a lot of people think, you know, Los Angeles is like arrested development. Um, But I just think the city of Los Angeles itself is is so much more complex and um, totally interesting is. than people yeah, would ever realize without spending time there. Yep, yep. I've learned that in the 15 years I've been here. People are yeah. people wherever you go, and there's quality people here, just like, just like there aren't, you know. But um, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, people love you guys here. I can definitely attest to that. So then, what happens? I mean, you go from having four to another three, and then mm-hmm. Japan. Like, where does that come in? You know, Japan was interesting because we were actually approached on that where there were some people in Tokyo that had a space and they were um, curating it, this development, which is actually at the Shinjuku train station, not inside it, but just alongside it. And they were, they've been renovating it, for, redoing it for like 15 years. It's the busiest train station in the world. Oh my God. And, and they were bringing these really cool brands there and they wanted to bring a quote, West Coast independent coffee brand there. So they went and did their research. They actually spent like a year doing it, went to, you know, all the people you could think of along the West Coast. That's such a huge compliment. I mean, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, And they just actually called us out of the blue and said, would you be willing to meet up and talk about some, you know, an idea we have? And we said, sure. We actually didn't quite realize it, but um, they told us about this opportunity that was, you know, there and we went and spent time there and checked it out and said, yeah, let's do it. And we've we've been there a year and it's, um, it's been amazing. And Tokyo's, one of the coolest cities in the world yeah hands down and everybody listening should go to tokyo 
you can send me a thank you letter yeah, it's afterwards. Like the cleanest place. There's no trash. There's no crime there. It's like yeah, it's like utopia. It's amazing. And everything is um, so intentional and so craft minded. The food, the every little shop, every yeah, piece incredible. of clothing, furniture, the service model. It's it's so beautiful. It's it's one of the, it's definitely a place everybody should just go to. And the sooner you go to, the better because um, it's so influential. I'm glad that we're saying that because it leads me to my next question. And I feel like Tokyo is a great reflection for you guys of what you've mm-hmm. created and the aesthetic and the quality of the brilliance of how you so intentionally also created what you did. So let's talk about that for a second. What's your advice to people when they want to create a brand that has that kind of class and integrity? Because you guys did that so, so seamlessly. You can so see the difference, just even in the packaging. Then you taste it. And every step of the way, your experience of Verve, for somebody experiencing it, you just feel, you can feel the consciousness that went into it. How does somebody else learn from that in whatever it is that they're creating? I think that at the end of the day, you know, you, you have to follow your heart and you have to, you might as well spend your time. And I think this, this is what's great about like with your podcast, but like, you, you know, you should really spend your time doing things you're passionate about. I've told our staff this for, for years um, when I used to conduct all of our orientations, which is we want you to want to be here. And if you don't want to be here, I'd rather have you do something else because, you know, we want passionate people on board. And I think passionate people are the most interesting and also just really give so much back to everyone else around them that they're interacting with. And, and, and so I guess my advice is just find out what you're passionate about and then do that. And it sounds so cheesy, but you're going to be better at it than anything else you do. And you're probably the likelihood of you being successful at something that you're passionate about just increases your odds exponentially because you're going to be willing to give it everything you have without question because it's what you want to do and what you're passionate about. You're not going to weigh it against anything. Yeah. That's, Um, that's really beautiful advice. I love that line. You just said that something you're passionate about, you're going to be better at. I mean, that's true. Yeah, Yeah. That's simple, but it's true. I think that that's, you know, great overall advice. And I want to kind of dig down a little deeper in the specificity of what you've done because you took something you were passionate about, yes, but then you executed it in such a brilliant way. Um, And I'm wondering what you have to share about branding and about imaging and about story and about the way that you, you know, the quality of the things you bought or how you sort of aligned everything. What's your advice on that when you're building out a business? Don't underestimate your customers if you're talking you know from a business point of view um i think it's so easy to talk yourself down into what you think the customers want and what that may be like oh well they can't handle this or they 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 don't want that or this isn't that important just that slippery slope of talking yourself down which if you're really passionate and you're creative and you're art visually minded maybe you that's not your nature, but I, it's just so easy when things start happening and budgets get tight and you're stressed out and there's reasons every day, all day long to like cut corners Okay. and you yeah. just, you, you can't do that. Um, you can't do it in like when you build, like in my business, like when you build stores, you can't do that. You can't cut corners and like training people and, and, and hiring them and how much time you put into them. You can't do it in the products you're buying, uh, you just have to hold yourself kind of accountable to your original vision. Yeah, um, that's nice. 
I'm not saying like being flexible and like your way or the highway. It's it's not about that. It's about just if you really believe in something, you have to really you owe it to yourself to kind of to see it all the way through. And for us, our business is based on, you know, the way we see it is like we have our product and we have our service and we have our atmosphere, um, which is it's something we do in training. But those are the elements that are the most important parts of our, our retail business. And they can kind of be pulled into any part of our business and you could sort of create analogies to them. But our coffee is number one. Um, I, I helped start the company um, and I've done a lot of training and all sorts of things, but I also have been a the coffee buyer since we started. And for five, six years, I was by myself. And then I've had help on it for the past few years. But, you know, sourcing our coffees and is, is, is absolutely mission critical. And then having great customer service, which is why I think, again, we, we felt so at home in Japan. Yeah. We've always really wanted to have uh, really knowledgeable, super well, highly trained coffee professionals, but without any pretension or attitude and to have really friendly people that make you feel like welcomed. Yeah. And then having, you know, beautiful spaces is really important too. clean, bright, well-lit, well-designed spaces, which, you know, goes along with our other branding and imagery and things we look at. Uh, just that idea that good design is, is good business. Yep. That makes um, sense too. I love that. Never heard yeah. that before, but that's beautiful. What does it feel like to be you right now, waking up every day? What does it feel like? <laughs> That's a great question. It, it feels great. I feel like I'm doing what I love and kind of going back to something my dad told me once, which was his, his pitch about me becoming a farmer, was the idea that every day is different. You'll never get bored. And yeah. I think that's something that can be said for entrepreneurship as well and that's part of what energizes me is the idea that I, every day I wake up and it's going to be different. So there's going to be new challenges. There's going to be new opportunities and you get to just kind of go, go at it. And, you know, not every day is a sunshine and rainbows at all, yeah. but at least, you know, it's, it's going to be different and it's going to be interesting and it's going to provoke you in different ways. So for somebody who's sitting there thinking like, Oh, I have this thing I so want to create, but I'm so overwhelmed right now by how hard this seems. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's so worth it to push through that? Well, it's really up to the individual. I mean, I've heard like quotes over time about this that have always stuck with me, which is like, you know, you have two choices in life. You work for yourself or you work for someone else. Yep. Um, and, and not that one's better or worse than the other at all. It's not like only working for yourself is the only cool thing. And if you're not, you're like, it's not quite as cool. It, it really is up to the individual and the opportunities they have and what they need. For me, I had to work for myself. I like, I had to, otherwise I just go live in a van down by the river and like <laughs> play sweet guitar and like cook trout. I don't know. But, um, I, I, I had to. So for me, there was, there was only one path for me ever. Um, another one I heard though, that ties to this is about people feeling overwhelmed is like, that's probably a good feeling to have. Cause that's realistic. Someone told me once, this is a small, small business owner in, in the college town I was in, but said, you know, we pay a lot to not have to work for someone else. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and that was that idea that, you know, sometimes if you did the math, you'd be like, wait, I'm actually only making like a dollar sixty an hour, but, <laughs> but it's somehow it's still worth it. It's like, it's worth it because to be in, on this track, that's like your own. Um, so I, I think for the people that are feeling overwhelmed, it's really a soul searching thing. And then just really having to determine what is it that I want to do? Yeah. What is it that energizes me? And what am I passionate about? 
and then at a certain point, you know, it'll never just feel like a no brainer and so easy. And if it does, you're right. probably missing a lot actually yeah. of what it's going to be like. doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. I mean, ignorance is bliss. The first year I, I started Verve, if I had known what that year was going to be like, I don't know that I would have started Verve, mm. but I'm so glad I did and I couldn't get out of it. But you know, it was, you know, we had like some dark ages in the beginning building the brand. <laughs> But, you know, another quote I heard, since I'm just, you know, dropping quotes. Yeah, come on. This is your time. Do your TED Talk. Uh, this is a cool one because it, <laughs> it was from, I think, like a guardian angel that I, I met, you know, in the biggest little town in the world, uh, in Reno, Nevada, at like three in the morning at a blackjack table after a Prince concert. Of course you did. Of course. where you naturally get all your yeah. best advice. <laughs> um, and I, this is when I was a lot younger and I was always asking people, like, what's the one piece of advice you have? And this guy, this person was like a successful technology person. And he, he just said, take chances and overextend yourself. Hmm. And that of all the quotes and is, is definitely like been my life mantra ever since I heard that. And I sort of realized it was already my mantra, but you know, so often you, you don't want to make a mistake because a mistake is bad. But I think that's the thing you, you need to tell yourself, like, go make mistakes go mess up. Like if you're not making mistakes, you're probably not reaching far enough. And actually that's stuff we talk, you know, I talk with coworkers and people that I work with and worked for me. I'm like, dude, just like go make mistakes, like go mess up. Otherwise, if you're worried so much about making a mistake, you're probably holding yourself. And in the case of Verve, you know, all of us back. So just like go make mistakes. Like you are empowered to go make mistakes. It's not okay for you to not go make mistakes. You're, it's like you were curated to be the get, best guest ever on the show. Uh, I'm just like sitting, I'm like sitting so quiet going, yes, yes, keep saying it, keep talking, keep going. <laughs> what do you think holds people back from doing that? What do we have to get over to do that? Fear, disappointment, not wanting to let people down, not, not wanting to let yourself down, your parents down, right. not wanting to let other people down, the em- embarrassment, self-consciousness, yeah, what course. will it be like if I yeah. fail? all the worst feelings, um, which are, by the way, like 99% of them only in your head. <laughs> That's true. So how come you I, could you know, do that? How could you, how come you could just walk into the fire like that? I mean, I'm, I had fear. I've had, I had, I've had fear on all of these things, but I think, have you ever been skydiving? No. Have you? One time. And I, I loved it by the way. Um, and I've done some other stuff since then, Paraguay and stuff, but when you're in that airplane and like, I always wanted to do it. I did it when I was, I think like 19 and I was Mr. Like young buck kid who wanted to like be an extreme athlete and was like, I want to be like Red Bull. And I, I thought it was so cool. You know, I, I'm just saying like, I was like ready for it emotionally, but so I went skydiving and I was tandem and I'm with like a professional at one of the yeah. better skydiving schools that like trained an Olympic team out at, at Davis. And I'll tell you what, even though like I was so ready for it, I thought it was so cool when you are standing in an airplane oh, at like 12,000 oh, feet God. and the doors open, oh. even though you're tied to a guy who's a, oh, or a woman who's like, you're going to be fine. The mental block and the oh my God. like reptilian or whatever, like the deepest, deepest DNA of do not jump. It, it's so primal yeah. for you to not jump out of that airplane that I, I, I was almost like thought I was going to black out. And then finally they go, okay, three, two, one. And I remember just like falling out of the airplane, like, 
you know, just yeah, like I was like passing out. And then two seconds later, look back at the plane, see the plane pulling away from you. And all of a sudden it was like the coolest thing I ever experienced ever in my life. Wow. But I guess the point is it's super natural to have those fears and that's like part of the deal. And then at some point you just jump out of the plane and it doesn't mean that it feels like I got this and I'm going to do a backflip because I'm so cool. I'm going to jump out of this plane. Yeah, you do it anyway. You just do it anyway. Yeah, I love that because it's, I actually think that that shows people that people who do take the risk are even more fearless because it's not like, no, some people don't have the fear. It's like, no, no, everyone has it. Some people just have the ability to tolerate it. It's like you tolerate it because, because why? I guess you want that thing on the other side more than you want to be stuck on the airplane and not have the experience or because there's just something inside of you since you're a kid that's, you're just not willing to quit. You're just not willing. Yeah. And I mean, and risk adversity, you know, is like a term you hear all the time and, you know, with entrepreneurship and people saying like, you know, they're just more risk adverse or this or that. And that's cool. I know like tons of people that are just like risk adverse and are like, I don't want to do that because that world is way too stressful for me and I'll just be stressed all the time and it won't feel good. And I think, you know, that that's different than just a fear. That's like someone just saying, not just the fear of it, but maybe I, I don't feel like I want that world on right. me right yeah even yeah. if i thought it would all be okay i still don't think i would want it on me i you know so it, it really comes up to the individual but you have to know yourself yeah you have to know yourself but uh if you think you really want to do something and you have these ideas and you're excited and passionate about it and you feel a calling but you just have fear about doing it i think that is means like you're like on the right trail like you're just like a, you're on the same trail that everyone ahead of you did and some there were a lot of successes and there were some more failures, but like, that's the path. Yeah. That's awesome. What's next. You've already accomplished so much. Like what do you hope happens next? I mean, I think from a verve point of view, we, you know, we just want to keep sharing a great coffee experience with people and having them experience great coffee, but also just everything else that's around it in our cafes to have just a great coffee experience. And we're going to continue to open up some stores we have. We have a, a couple other things on the horizon uh, this um, this next year for sure. And just sharing the brand with people and helping helping make people's days is sort of our, like you said, like everyone wakes up. It's an important part of their day. And like, I, I don't know, I, I love coffee and I, I just want to share it with more people. So that, you know, we're going to, we're going to keep going versus, you know, awesome. on a, on a path. So how do you take your coffee? What's your favorite drink? Well, I drink my coffee black because that's just how I like it. Um, and then I also love cappuccinos. And I, I usually drink almond milk because I just can't do milk. Okay. Uh, one of those people. but um, And I love espresso. But like almost every morning I have like a cappuccino and then, you know, a cup of coffee. Awesome. It's sort of my, sort of my jam. Someone just introduced me to avocados, and so in the last week, I've had three of them, and oh my god. They're pretty sweet. Yeah, it's like espresso (laughs) with uh, ice cream. Okay, well, how can people find you? We're basically at Verve Coffee on all the platforms, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, etc. Do you ship coffee? Yeah, we ship worldwide, and we uh, just launched a new subscription program. Cool. Uh, and it's all that's got free shipping, and there's always you know amazing coffees coming and going. Our blends are available year round, and our single origin coffees change with the harvest seasons. And there's 
you know, sign up for our newsletter and you'll get the sneak peek in these little exclusive lots. Awesome. Yeah. Come find us. Awesome. You are amazing. Uh, you're not just awesome at what you do, but you're awesome at this. And, uh, I think you just inspired a lot of people. I know you inspired me. So thank you for being, being here. Well, thanks for having me. And thanks for, uh, your, I think your, uh, your whole platform is inspiring a lot of people. So yay. Good. That was so much fun to listen to. I love Verb Coffee, but now I love it even more knowing how sweet and awesome Colby is. Thank you, Colby. Okay, here are some takeaways. Number one, if the world shows you a sign, sometimes you've just got to follow it and take the leap. Number two, aim to build the best company you can, even if no one cares. Number three, you're going to be better at your passion than anything else, and you're more likely to be successful at it because you'll give it everything you've got. Number four, you owe it to yourself to work through things. Number five, being overwhelmed is probably a good feeling to have. If the work is a no-brainer, then you're probably missing something. Number six, you could be making only $1.60 an hour with your dream job, but it's still worth it. Number seven, take chances and overextend yourself. And number eight, kind of similar to number seven, go make mistakes, go mess up. If you're not making mistakes, you're not reaching far enough. Thank you guys for listening to our episodes. Thank you guys for being here. Please continue to listen. Tell your friends about it. Post it on Instagram. Post it on Twitter. Post it on Facebook. Tell people that the show is inspiring and you're loving it. Um, If everybody told a friend about it, we would double our audience, which would be so awesome. Um, You guys listening to the show and subscribing to the show helps us to get sponsors and our sponsors have helped to support us. So please continue to support our sponsors. I hope you guys have an awesome week. I hope that if you're inspired, you will do something about it today and not wait to be inspired again. deserve to be happy. The world needs you to do what it is that you love to do. So please keep going, keep doing it. I want to give a shout out to the amazing team who makes this show possible. Special thanks to our executive producer, Tim Street and producer Emma Kikuchi. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. 